started a, a series called I Can See Clearly Now, and I, I started a few weeks ago, and uh, I talked a few weeks ago about our desires, and uh, yeah, I, we looked at the story of creation, we looked at Genesis, uh, and how God formed the world, he created the world, and he saw that it was good, he, he saw that what he created was good, and then we, we looked at uh, Genesis 3, and how Eve saw of the fruit on the tree, uh, and she saw that it was good in her own eyes, and she took it. She took the fruit from the tree, disobeying uh, God's command and uh, giving to her husband. And th- in that moment, they, they chose to see what was good in their own eyes and uh, chose to see wisdom for themselves. And uh, separation came from God and his creation. And from that point on, there was moments where humanity continued to time and time again we keep making the same mistake of choosing to see what is right in our own eyes rather than submitting that to God. And so uh, we're going to keep looking at that tonight and excited to keep looking at what this looks like for us, in particular uh, about our relationships uh, and how that looks. And so I also mentioned about like it it taints our vision, It, it blurs what we see. And so like when I don't wear glasses, when I try and look across, I actually have a pretty okay vision. It's just distances, distances I can't really see. And so things get blurry when I take my glasses off. And I remember the first time of having glasses and going down to the park and realizing that trees were actually clear at the other side of the park. It was amazing. I was blown away at the fact that I could actually see across the park. That it wasn't just normal that things were blurry. Uh, and... Uh, I had that realization that, wow, I can actually see. And so that is so often what we do in life. We're trying to make the best decisions, right? We're trying to do what's best for us, but we're often doing it with blurry vision. We're just trying to do it in our own strength. We're just trying to do it in our own wisdom rather than actually allowing God to show us how to see, actually allowing to submit to Him. And as we do submit to Him, we see clearly. We can see more clearly and more vibrantly, um, and I keep looking over there because I can see some trees through the windows. I know you guys can't, but I can. Um, yeah, cool. So uh, we continue the story, and we continue reading through Genesis, and if you read through, they, they, time and time again, humans have this opportunity to submit to God, but they fail. They get things wrong. They uh, stuff it up, and, um, you know, there's a flood all in there. There's things that go on. It's pretty, you know, gnarly. Uh, and then we get to a point in Genesis where God's like, you know what, I'm just going to choose a family. I'm going to choose the family of Abraham. I'm going to stick by them. They're going to be my people. I'm going to choose them. And the reason I'm choosing them is so that they can be a blessing to the world. And, and he's not choosing Abraham and his family because he thinks they're, you know, cool people. And he just wants to hang out with them. No, he's choosing them so that they can be a blessing. It's a, it's a specific role that they have in being a blessing so that the whole world may be blessed by God choosing them and, and uh, committing to this family, the family of Abraham. And so this is exciting. Abraham's like, yeah, you have to leave your, your family and go to a foreign land, but I'm going to establish a nation. Your descendants are going to be uh, br- bigger than all the stars in the air. It's going to be huge, uh, and uh, your, your descendants are going to be a blessing to this world. Uh, but the only issue was that Abraham and Sarah didn't have any children. So it was, it's a bit of an issue when you're called to be a nation, called to actually 
have so many descendants that would bless the world, but no one to do that. It's a bit of an issue. So, um, yeah, the story continues. And at, at the time of Abraham's call, he was 70 years old. He's not a young dude, but God still chooses to call him and says, you will be a great nation. Uh, and your, your, uh, your descendants will bless this world. But then 16 years goes past. And life continues. Life goes on. The call goes out. Yeah, cool. This is going to be awesome. You're going to do amazing things. But life just keeps rolling. If you notice where, you know, you have this good moment with God, but then the next day is Monday and you go back to work and then life keeps rolling. Well, this is 16 years later and they still have not had a child. Abraham and Sarah are still childless. And uh, at this point, they're probably freaking out. And Sarah actually is freaking out. She's like, I don't know what we're doing. I don't have a child. And in particular, in that culture, it, uh, you know, it, was, uh, it wasn't just their call. It wasn't just their destiny. It, you know, having children was very important. It was such an important thing in this culture, in this day and age, uh, because uh, so much of your identity was in your family. So much of your identity was in the fact that you could have children and that you, uh, yeah, could have an amazing family. And so Sarah would have been freaking out. Uh, and so what happens when life doesn't really treat us the way that we think it should? We take life into our own hands. We choose to actually take action and go, you know, I, I have to do something about this, and I have to do this in my own way. And so this is where we find ourselves. We're going to read uh, in Genesis 16 tonight and uh, read a bit of this story that is going to happen at this point, where 16 years later, after a promise, they still haven't had any children. And it, and it says in Genesis 16, verse 1, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, bore him no children. She had an Egyptian slave girl whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, You see that the Lord has prevented me from bearing uh, children. Go into my slave girl. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abraham listened to the voice of Sarai. So Abraham had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan. Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her slave girl, and gave her to, uh, gave her, to her, her husband, Abraham, as a wife. He went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that uh, she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abraham, May the wrong done to me be on you this is your fault you said to do this i gave my slave girl to your embrace and when she saw that she had conceived she looked on me with contempt may the lord judge between you and me but abraham said to sarah your slave girl is in your power do to her as you please then sarah dealt harshly with her and she ran away from her this is a pretty uh, nasty story it's not a very nice story welcome to church this is all encouraging isn't it <laughs> this is the reality of the bible some things happen that aren't very nice in the bible and, and a story where abraham and sarah have this this promise but it's not going to pass and so sarah gets us this idea she sees and you notice the the language written here it's the same language that is written in Genesis 3. The same terminology. He saw the, the fruit. See, Sarah sees Hagar, and she took her and gave it to her husband, just as like it happened in Genesis 3. 
as uh, Eve took the fruit and gave it to her husband. This is, this is repeating. History is repeating yet again. Humanity is choosing to see what is good in our own eyes and repeating it all again, only in a, in a more dramatic scale in her family and in this poor slave girl's life. And things go on. This is not a nice situation. And it ends up in a moment where Hagar needs to flee because she's scared for her life. Not only has she been abused to this point where she's had to uh, marry Abraham, but also now Sarah is is treating her wrong, treating her harshly. And so she's out of here. Yet again, humans are in this cycle of seeing what is good in our own eyes and taking what we want rather than allowing God to speak to us and to surrender to him. And so we, I mean, we often get, pretty impatient with God, don't we? We feel like God has this, this uh, goal for us. We've, you know, we're pushing towards what we believe God has for us, this job or this relationship or this way of living. And God, you've called me to do this. But we, we often get pretty impatient with God. We want it now. We want things happening. Come on, let's, let's move. Let's do this. And when it doesn't happen our way, we, we, we act. And we take things into our own hands and we see our own wisdom and, and want to choose for ourselves how the path will take, will go. See, the issue isn't actually that we acted because sometimes God actually does call us to act. He does call so, for us to move in a direction. He, he leads us in a path and says, you're going to do this, but sometimes he does want us to act. The issue isn't that they acted. It was that they acted by themselves. They chose to act in their own strength. They didn't actually consult anybody around and so often that's an issue with us not that we act is that that we just do it in our own strength that we don't ask some people around we don't actually go to God and go God what what are you doing what how are you leading me help me speak to me we actually choose to just act in our own strength it's not that they act the, the issue isn't that they acted but they did it by themselves and Mark says says uh, the challenge faced by the church in the West is not the rise of unbelief, but rather the rise of belief that is touched from an idea of belonging. It's not that there's an issue of unbelief, because the thing is everybody has a belief. Everybody has a faith. Even uh, the atheists, they believe in something, even if it's themselves. They just believe that They're going to just trust themselves, trust what they can do. Everybody has a faith. The issue isn't about a belief, but it's actually a belief attached with a sense of belonging, a belief that is attached with something of community and what God has brought in together with a belonging. It is the feeling of, do we actually belong? And so when that belief is detached from that, silly decisions are made when we just choose to do things in our own way. Silly decisions are made, and I've made some of those decisions. <laughs> we all have. We've all acted in our own strength. This is the the, the part of the human. This is some, what happens with us. But we need to keep looking at why we do this. Why do we keep doing that? And how can we change that? How can we let God transform that and change us from living in that way? and accepting and surrendering to him. See, the pursuit of happiness is, is a big deal in our culture, that we're just pursuing what makes us feel happy, what makes us feel, ah, nice. 
that's our pursuit. And when something doesn't fit and align with our pursuit of happiness, then we get rid of it. It's gone. But the issue is that doesn't build perseverance. That doesn't build resilience in people. That doesn't build the robustness and the strength that we're called to bring to this world. When they're just, we are going after what makes us feel happy. But that is what our culture is so often leaning towards, what our culture is telling us to go after, and particularly with our relationships. If, if someone doesn't make you feel happy, then we just won't hang out with them, whatever. And so we need to be aware of that pursuit of happiness that our culture tells us to live in. <coughs> Has anyone seen the movie uh, Her? Has anyone, anyone seen Her? Yeah, a few people. Uh, it's pretty good. I really liked it. Uh, it's a, a bit of a different movie. And uh, essentially, uh, it's kind of set in a futuristic uh, time frame where it's a, the, it's a bit more te technologically advanced uh, than our current world. Uh, and it starts with this, this guy called Theodore who uh, has just uh, split up with his wife and is in a pretty depressed, sad uh, state of life and uh, is not having a good time and, and, you know, his friends around him are worried about him. Uh, he's, you know, not hanging out with people. He's just not looking after himself properly. Uh, he's not doing very well. <coughs> and uh, at this time, around this time also, there's this new uh, software that has just come out in the world, this new artificial intelligence uh, that, uh, you know, the, the AI that was around then could, you know, do things like you could say, you know, turn on the light or uh, write me an email. You could just speak it and it just does stuff. But then this new uh, software modification can do even more things. It could become your friend. It can actually connect with you on a personal level. You can actually have good conversations and it adapts as you have this conversation with you. It's pretty advanced technology, guys. This is what the world is coming at. This is where we're leading. Uh, and um, Theodore, he gets this new software update for his whatever it was. Um, and uh, he names uh, his uh, AI Samantha. This was his name. The name of his software was Samantha. And uh, lo and behold, eventually they chatted and uh, they ended up having a relationship together. And so Theodore, this man, has a relationship with a uh, artificial intelligence called Samantha, and they talk all the time, they you know, connect, and then they even go on a double date. They have this, head, uh, this speaker, and they, have, they hang out with a real couple, uh, and he's with this, I don't know what it was, anyway. He's hanging out as a double date, uh, connecting with these people, uh, and everyone was just happy for him. Because he was happy. He was like, yeah, I'm enjoying life now. Things aren't bleak for him anymore. And everyone was just, yeah, cool. That's, that's all right. They went with it. Uh, and they didn't have uh, the guts to actually say, I don't know if this is right, dude. <laughs> you know you're going out with an artificial intelligence. You see, this is what our world is leading us in. The pursuit of happiness is just leading to a point where we're just so, whatever makes you feel happy, it's cool. Uh, sure, it's not a real relationship. Sure, in, uh, in reality, down the track, things are probably not going to end well for you. Sure, it doesn't have anything of real substance, but as long as it makes you feel happy. And, so th and I was just like, you know, I actually really enjoy the movie. It's a good movie. Um, I recommend watching it. Um, yeah. Oh, over 18, is it? Yeah. It's not, it's not R-rated. No, no, no. <laughs> Uh, yeah, anyway, um, 
it's not R-rated, and I think anyway. Uh, yeah. So um, it's yeah, it was just interesting, an interesting uh, look and take at our culture and where it's leading. It was an, an interesting insight into the fact that we are pursuing just what it makes us feel happy, what makes us feel uh, you know accepted. And so if that's an artificial intelligence that'll give us it, then we'll just go for that. But if it, even if it doesn't really have true substance even if it actually doesn't really give us meaning. And um, we have to be so aware of this pursuit of happiness that our culture is uh, highlighting and showing us how to live. We need to be so aware that we don't get stuck in just going after things that just make us feel happy. But we actually accept that things may be difficult. Things may not go the way that you think, but as we stand strong on who we are, as we determine to be the kind of people who persevere through challenges, who persevere through pain, and that we still love and accept the relationships and who we are, then we will grow as God has called us to grow. We will see and flourish as God has called us to flourish in this world. See, we are not called to live in that way, in that just pursuit of happiness. The way that, that I believe that God is calling us to, to live is, is kind of like a garden tender. And there's this beautiful, um, uh, I guess, poetry by C.S. Lewis about a garden. And he says, uh, it is no disparagement to, to a garden to say that it will not fence and weed itself, nor prune its own fruit trees, nor roll and cut its own lawns. A garden is a good thing but that is not the sort of goodness it has. It will remain a garden as distinct from a wilderness only if someone does all these things to it. See, God calls us to partner with him, to partner with him to be garden tenders. It, just like in the, in the beginning in Genesis, he, he put humanity in a garden to tend it, to look after it, to partner with him and to work together to build something beautiful. And what he calls us to be is like garden tenders, to be people who nurture the relationships around us, to nurture our friendships, to nurture our family, to nurture connections that we have with the, the people of this world, to be garden tenders, to see how can I be a part of growing life in the people around me? How can I be a part of seeing something beautiful come out, like a beautiful garden that has come, play, uh, come forth into this world. But it requires work. Gardening requires work. Ask my father-in-law. He is a gardener for a school. It requires work. Sometimes you need to get in and do the hard stuff. You need to do things that you don't necessarily like. It, it requires work. And sometimes that is what required in our relationships and as we interact with this world, it sometimes requires work. But when we determine to be the kind of people who don't just seek after what makes us feel happy, but actually are people who are seeing how can we better this world? How can we actually nurture people? How can we care for people so that life can be found in others? How can we be a part of the solution in people rather than just seeing what is in it for me? That's not the kind of people we're called to be. We're called to be the people who will see it for, uh, on the other person's perspective, to see how can I be a blessing for others? How can I actually see the life and the beauty that's in others and bring that out and be a garden tender? That's the kind of people that we are called to be. So right now, what, what's challenging in your, your relationships? What's going on in your world? That is difficult. We all have difficult situations. It's, it's just what comes with life. 
And so how are you creating a garden life in the relationships around you? How are you seeing the best in people and calling that up? How are you actually being those people and maybe noticing the weeds or, or pruning where is necessary? How are you seeing life in the garden, in the people, in the relationships around you and feeding and nourishing those relationships? Because we all go through moments where things are difficult. We all need to choose what, how will we respond in that difficulty. And, you know, for me, I've had to go through many of those moments myself. And one of those biggest moments when, when I was 15 and uh, my parents divorced, I had the, it was one of those moments that is just difficult and hard. Those, one of those moments in life where you need to choose what are you going to do, how are you going to act. And um, I was fortunate enough to uh, have that, that voice of God going, come on, lean into me. I'm going to help you. Trust in me. And I had moments and moments. I was angry. I was frustrated. I didn't know what to do in those moments. But I was fortunate enough to go to God, go into his word and discover what it meant to trust him. Go into a community of believers and, and know what it meant to be surrounded by help and strength and be a part of the church community that would, would empower me to, to actually live the kind of life he called me to be. And so we all go through moments where we need to actually learn what it means to trust God in our relationships. And so what will we do? How will we, we respond? Because, yeah, we get hurt in our relationships. There's things that happen, but how will we respond? A great quote that I read uh, from Richard Raw was, pain uh, that isn't transformed is transferred. Any pain that we go through that isn't actually transformed by Jesus, isn't transformed by his power, is actually transferred, that we actually act that pain out on others. We act that out on, on the family members or on, on the people around us. That pain that we aren't actually allowing to be transformed by who God is, transformed by connecting with others and speaking about this pain, actually gets transferred to others. And so our call is to not just see how we see, not to think of wisdom in our own eyes, but actually allow ourselves to be transformed by God so that we can be garden tenders. We can be people who bring life into this world. And so uh, there are three things that I, I want us to do out of this, three things that I believe God wants us to call us into that uh, we can all, all of us, no matter where we're at, no matter whether you're in a difficult relationship situation at the moment or, or things are just, you know, going pretty steady, we can all commit to being garden tenders. We can all see the relationships around us and see how we can bring life into others. And so there are three things. Number one is uh, to uh, thoughtfully pr uh, pray and reflect. Is thoughtful prayer and reflection is our first thing. And um, this is all going to be, I've got a, I did bring one down here. Uh, yeah, thanks, Kayla. Uh, I've done some new devotional kind of guides. Is, is that what we call them? Yep, devotional guide. They're just little uh, little brochures that you can take just to uh, the three key points and things that you can do this week that there's actions for you to actually take home with you. Uh, so these three things, uh, is number one is thoughtful prayer and reflection to actually take time to consider and identify, God, where are you leading me? What are these things in me that are actually not quite right? 
how, what, what is something in me? What are those attitudes? What are those character traits in me that I know you need to change and I know you need to actually shift? And sometimes we actually just need to get in his presence and allow him to speak to us and actually allow him to identify those things and go, come on, you can be a part of seeing uh, this life come into others, but you need to deal with some stuff. <laughs> we do. We need to deal with some stuff. Uh, and the, the amazing story of Jesus is that God was with us. God is with us. His presence is here, here on earth. That's the amazing story of Jesus is that now we actually get to experience the presence of God every day in our homes, in our workplaces, wherever we are. We actually can experience the presence of God. And so our choice is actually to choose to tap into that, to go, God, I need your presence every day. And I need to allow you to transform me by your presence. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says that genuine prayer is never a good, good works, an exercise, or a pious attitude, but it's always the prayer of a child to a father. That's what prayer is. Prayer is not just something that we do, but it's a, a, a prayer from a child to the father. And Jesus so beautifully exemplified that. Time and time again, Jesus would uh, pull away from the crowds and just connect with his father. Would just connect and relate to him and allow the spirit of God to fill him afresh and to empower him for what he was about to do. And that's what we need to continue to do every single day. To be found getting away from the crowd, getting away from the busyness of life, getting away from just doing, 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 because we all are in that trap. We can all face that at times. Get away from that and just be found in his presence. It's when we're found in his presence, he truly brings out who we're called to be and how we're called to live. And it's a beautiful thing. So that's number one, thoughtful prayer and reflection. Number two is to form new patterns, to form new ways of doing things, to, to transform. So if out of that place of prayer and reflection where God's speaking to us, we actually perform a, uh, form a new way of doing things. See, the culture is telling us a way of living, but God is trying to transform that way of living. And that's why we read the Bible. That's why we actually get into the Bible. That's why we at church, we talk about the Bible. It's kind of important to us. The reason why we do it is not just like so we, we can, you know, you're ticking the religious tick box. We're, we're telling you this because we understand that as we read the Bible, it's the kingdom culture of heaven that comes into our culture today. It actually transforms us. We need the Word of God because the culture of this world is telling us how to live. It's telling us to just pursue after happiness. It's telling us to, to be these kind of people. But as we get into the Word of God, it actually tells us a new story. It tells us a different story. It tells us, hey, this is the kind of way you should live. This is the kind of people that you're called to be. And it transforms. It, it, it creates in us a new pattern, a new way of living. And that forms something in us. And so that's why it's so important that we get into the Bible, that we read it and we, we start to form new patterns, start to form new ways of thinking, start to form new ways of doing things and, and acting towards others. And so number two is form new patterns. And number three is to do the work of a gardener, to actually get in and do something. One and two are amazing and important that we actually reflect and get what we need from God and then form a new pattern. But then we actually need to step out and do it. 
Those first two things are, 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 are pointless if we're not actually doing something, if we're not actually uh, making a commitment to uh, be people who uh, bring life into others. It means that we actually are thinking about what we're saying to others. Oh, I probably shouldn't have said that. That was a, b- a bit mean. I probably shouldn't have acted in that way. That we actually are, are thinking about the way that we're living. We're actually thinking about the way that we're talking, that we're actually doing the work of a gardener and responding to how we live and thinking about what we're doing and how we're acting to others and actually letting God transform what we're doing and responding by his love and strength, that we're doing the work of a gardener and seeing just, yeah, I can see that as we go out and do this, little pockets of gardens, little secret gardens. I'm going to search for secret gardens. Like I personally would love to, you know, I love nature, so I love being out, and I always try and find little secret gardens, and I can, it's it's hard in Perth. It's not as easy. I don't know. Does anyone know many? uh, Obviously, there's one in in, um, Karanup area. (laughs) <laughs> it's no, it's not a secret anymore, is it? Everyone knows about that one. Um, uh, but I, yeah. <laughs> but, but what I'm saying is, out of this, this I just see little pockets of secret gardens <laughs> that um, people will find strength in you. People will find like a ah, oh, like that's the kind of person I want to be around. When someone is there, actually uplifting me. That's the kind of person that I, I want to be around. That. They, they, they don't just act in, like, ba- you know, just bitterness and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> they actually are kind, and they care about me. That's, that's a bit weird. They're actually little pockets of secret gardens where people find rest, and they, people find strength when they're near you because you've transformed how you live. That's what the kind of people that I believe God has called us to be, and I know that he's going to call us into. Right? Yeah, come on. So let's live that way. A call as Christians is to live in a higher way. It's to live a bigger way than what the world is telling us we should live in. Our call as Christians is to accept that and go, Jesus, you call us to that. We surrender our lives to you. This is going to be difficult times, but we're going to go there and believe that you're going to transform something new in us. And so grab a hold of this little dev- devotional guide. It has some things on top of those three things. Is also to rest because we don't get enough of that in our culture. So take a day out to rest and do nothing, guys. That's what I'm telling you to do. Um, unless that's all you do, then don't do that. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, let's, let's do that. Let's do the work of a gardener. Let's get into what God is calling us to do and transform how we live. Um, but all of that comes out of a place of realizing that we belong. That all comes actually out of a place that we're accepted, that we're, we are found and we're, we're, we belong to God's family. And just as I mentioned that quote at the beginning of the, um, the challenge faced by the church in the West is not the rise of unbelief, but the rise of a belief that is detached from an idea of belonging that we actually belong in God's family, that he accepts us and loves us, and that's what fuels the way that we live. That's what fuels the people that we become because we are accepted by God. We're accepted by him, and that changes everything because sometimes we don't feel that from others, from situations in our lives, 
But God, when we come into his presence, we belong. We are accepted. And if we look back at Genesis 16, at the story that we talked about earlier, we finished the story with Hagar uh, leaving, running away from Abraham and Sarah, and no longer being almost like the image of, of, the, e- of the Garden of Eden being separated from the presence of God, running away, getting away from that. But the story actually continues in Genesis 16, guys. And the story continues, and it says in verse 7, The angel of the Lord found Hagar by a spring of water in the wilderness. Here, this Egyptian slave girl, the angel of the Lord finds her in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave girl of Sarah, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I'm running away from my mistress, Sarah. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will so greatly multiply your offspring that they cannot be counted for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Now you have conceived and shall bear a son, and you shall uh, call him Ishmael. For the Lord has given heed to your affliction. He shall be a wild ass of a man with his hands against everyone and everyone's hand against him and he shall live at odds with all his kin. So she named the Lord who spoke to her, You are El Royal. For she said, Have I really seen God and remain alive after seeing him? That word is the God who sees, El Royal. Therefore the well was called Bia Laharoya. <laughs> You can tell I'm really good at Hebrew. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram named his son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. And Abram was 86 years old when he, when Hagar bore him Ishmael. See, in this time and culture, an Egyptian slave girl was not really considered someone that you would call out and promise inheritance an egyptian slave girl to the people reading this story in that time and that age they would have despised that they were like, no 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 that, that girl's not worth that that girl's not worth an inheritance that girl's not worth a multitude a nation coming out of her she's just a nobody but here god is in the midst of the wilderness in the middle of nowhere and he says i see you i see you I'm the God who sees, and I have seen you. You've been mistreated. It's, it's been wrong to you, but I'm calling you to go back. I'm calling you to face what has been behind and to actually deal with it, to not just pursue what is comfortable, not just to pursue happiness, to actually deal with what is going through. And, and it, you know, it's going to be difficult. God didn't promise it's all going to be easy. He, he said everyone's, everyone's hand shall be against him, his son, her son. It's going to be difficult at times, but I'm calling you because I see you. And she responds. She goes back to Abraham because she now belongs. 
She now has a place. She now has been seen. She now accepts and realizes she is someone that isn't just a nobody that people can abuse, but she has, has been seen by God. And so that has transformed who she is, transforms what she does. And that's what the call for us is, that we, as we realize and identify that we belong, that transforms who we are. And that's the story of Jesus in a greater way. He has surrendered his life. He has given his all so to, to, to tell us that we belong. So to tell us that he sees us, even when you don't feel like it. Even when you're just plowing, going through the hard times, and you feel like no one cares about you, God sees you in that. He sees you in that. And that's the, the, the word that I have for you here tonight. God is the God who sees you. He sees you. Do not give up. Do not give up hope. Do not stop believing in yourself. God sees you. God sees you.